Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Sabotekindle, SVP of Product and Programming with ACFCS, and I have to tell you, while of course I enjoy all the guests we welcome to this program, I am particularly excited about this episode. I love a big, impactful idea of how to improve financial crime prevention globally. Sometimes it seems like there's not enough of those ideas. And what could be bigger than an overarching concept that links government financial intelligence units, financial institutions, law enforcement, and non-governmental organizations into a single, unified, collaborative framework? It's called a fusion chain, and it builds off the concept of financial crime fusion centers that are probably familiar to you. They've become popular and generally quite successful at financial institutions around the globe. I'm thrilled to welcome back Graham Bailey, Chief Operating Officer with Quantifying, to explain what a fusion chain is, why it's a big step forward in combating financial crime, and what tools, techniques, and frameworks it will take to get there. Well, Graham, welcome back to the Financial Crime Cast. Always a entertaining and enlightening conversation from a real expert in the financial crime space, and uh, very intrigued by this concept of a fusion chain. And a, uh, interested to see, uh, interested to to learn more about what this actually entails. So, thank you so much for being here, and thanks uh, for the time and the insight. No, Brian, thank you. No, it's always always nice to chat with you and, and uh, the team at uh, ACFCS. Excellent. Uh, well, as I alluded to, our topic here today is the vision and potential of a financial crime fusion chain. Um, some of the audience, most of the audience, I'm guessing, is familiar with the, the fusion center approach and concept. But before we we leapfrog ahead to the next the next uh, order of, of magnitude in the fusion chain, let's at least set the groundwork of what is a fusion center. So, you know, Graham, you've been intimately involved in fusion centers in the past. Um, tell us about, you know, just the fusion center approach for the financial institution space and what that entails. No, thanks, Brian. Yeah, I think um, a, lot, a lot of the key banks now and um, have taken and adopted this kind of fusion center approach, which I think our ultimate goal, as we kind of reflected on last time we chatted, is obviously how do we how do we combat uh, crime for the for the community and and then and then obviously for the institutions. Um, the the fusion center approach for any of the listeners here kind of less familiar with is really getting across those kind of silos or different um, tools and and armaments that we can bring to bear within an institution. So. Um, obviously, we, we've got the financial crimes team, typically, which is uh, on the AML sanctions side, maybe with the, the reporting of the, the fraud. But, but then you have the individual line of business teams that are combating fraud um, for account takeover, for you know check fraud, for those few people who are still writing checks, um, for, for the debit card uh, and the credit card fraud. And then, and then the cyber teams, which of course have grown um, immensely and rightly so, potentially over the last kind of two decades. Um, and and to me, the the fusion center approach was really getting those teams, and, and instead of kind of this whole bit of like let's do an organizational redesign of the bank and 
we'll take all of these three departments and put them under one person. And that usually just spirals into some awful politics and some bad change management. But the real approach of saying, okay, let's take the experts in cyber that are looking at how people are trying to uh, attack the walls of the castle, um, you know, in terms of that institution and keep keep bad actors out of the infrastructure. You know, the IP addresses that are being being used to, to kind of start those attacks and where they're coming into the bank. Take that with the, the card and the uh, online banking fraud team's data that they're seeing in terms of where perpetrators and victims are and, and also then the AML team um, potentially looking at the proceeds of those, you know, predicate offences um, and, and work as a team because the regulators expect uh, all of the parts of the bank to work correctly together. Um, but also you're going to get a better result. Um, you know, it's it goes back to that old old theory. I think there was you know, a lot of management science about, you know, working out the average weight of a cow. And uh, the concept was, you know, if, uh, well, Brian, how heavy is this cow? And you would say so many tons and I would say so many tons. But if you get enough people involved, you actually get to a pretty good understanding of what what is an accurate view of something and i think the the fusion uh centers within the bank if you're taking that understanding of the cyber pieces the understanding of fraud both victim and perpetrator and the aml teams the sanction teams and really let those really good analysts and investigators work together on that data you're going to get a better result get rid of that bad actor um, identify them, get that information over to law enforcement. Um, the question really is, is, is what do you do beyond that? Yeah, where do you go next? And so that is where we're uh, we're we're probing with uh, you know the the topic at hand and the uh, the fusion chain, or at least one of the threads we'll be pulling. But yeah, it's a great point. I mean, it speaks to the need for uh, as the financial crime risk landscape kind of you know the threat landscape multiplies you have what seems to be an ever-increasing number of financial crime threats out there um leveraging the controls the resources the data at hand to get that you know this is maybe an overused word but holistic view um within your institution but yeah then what, once you have that and you're producing that intel, you know, what next? And that speaks to, you know, the next point, which is the benefits, which we already touched on to some extent, breaking down silos, pulling data together, building coordination between teams, but also the limitations of the Fusion Center approach. And, you know, you've seen both of these firsthand. So can you speak to both benefits and limitations of this Fusion Center, um, this Fusion Center uh, approach? Yeah, the, the, the benefits I, I did start to touch on in terms of, you know, IP addresses where an attack is coming from. And then you're you're looking at actually the, the online banking activity is coming from a, a similar IP address um, or device, uh, the device level. Um, and then that, that alert that you were getting on the money laundering side that maybe didn't look quite um, at the level that you're going to file a suspicion. But when you realize that also the same device is then also trying to attack the network, um, then maybe then, okay, it's it's time to look a bit deeper and then kind of then kind of go into, okay, what's in the adverse media space um, around these individuals or even that that device or that Twitter handle that's linked to that device. And, and then you're going to suddenly be able to kind of really see, okay, 
now I need to pay attention to this. Um, the limitations, obviously, um, is that you're one institution. And uh, I think, uh, as all of us realize, and as you spend a large amount of time combating money laundering, um, professional money laundering, uh, you're not going to just all do it with one bank. It's it's it, it's not like it's not like on the retail side where you know you, you start out with your checking account and then you're like, well, you add your mortgage, okay, well, I'll keep it with the bank, and then you add your credit card, well, I've already got the relationship with the bank. Um, the professional money launderers are obviously running large multinational crime organisations and looking to leverage it across uh, financial institutions and also non-financial institutions. Um, and how do you combat that if your fusion center is is only within your institution? You you can't. You're 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 running running with blinkers on. Um, with with the problems that 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 then gives you. Yeah, and that's the you know kind of crux of of the issue that so many financial institutions run into is you know to your point on professional money launderers, sophisticated financial criminals, they can move across institution across border you know, choose their jurisdiction in a way that the the financial institutions, compliance professionals, even law enforcement can't follow nearly as rapidly. Uh, so the, you know, the illicit funds flow much faster and more easily than the, the data required to chase them can flow between institutions and to and from the public and private sector. So, you know, that brings up a really important point. Are there, do we have the right global regulatory framework to allow for information sharing, information exchange, and fusion centers beyond one institution. In other words, you know, how can I, assuming I'm at a financial institution, do fusion beyond my institution itself? And it seems like in some ways we've maybe even gone you know, I want to say the opposite direction, but a different direction in terms of more restricted privacy, some of the privacy regulations, you know, and, and increasing focus on that, which is good in the sense, but it does create a challenge around this. So how do you see that playing out? And, you know, what, if anything, needs to change in that in that world? Yeah, and I think I think this is where there is kind of two paradigms. Um, well, I don't know if I like the word paradigm, but but bear with me for the listeners. But the, um, the it, it's really that whole piece of, you know, you'll get people that are coming together and, well, if the regulation changed and if if this moved, then obviously I would do do more as my, you know, as a global citizen and, and I, I would be able to do so much more but for the regulation, but for the, the privacy concerns. Um, and and you you kind of have the, that kind of then approach of that, well, we'll have this kind of, you know, Chatham House discussion or Chatham House rules kind of discussion of, okay, we'll get together and we'll discuss it at a high level. Um, so we feel like we're better and we've made an attempt, but we we don't really get into details because we can't because of the regulatory framework. Um, and I, I think, you know, during my career, I've been on the receiving end of, or participant, even myself, in terms of some of those things of like, you know, well, okay, it was kind of something bad was happening in Asia and there was something then it was flowing through to somewhere in Latin America and then it was coming across the border into, into the US and it, it might have something to do with cell phone sales. And, and then people are like, so you can go off and find it then. 
<laughs> and it's like well, you kind of mentioned three continents on the planet and a device that most people purchase you haven't really narrowed it down for me too much but yeah okay thanks for sharing um i think the the fusion chain approach um it is really uh i believe and i think a lot of people are seeing this and there's a lot of good work that's happening is that we do have the mechanisms to share much more um, and make much more of a difference uh, and leveraging the regulation that's there with individual chain links. Uh, and that's kind of stuff I kind of want to want to come on to kind of chatting through with you, Brian. Yeah, then, great. Oh, go on. No, 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 please continue. So if you take, um, uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to start with 314B maybe, but um, people might say, well, hang on, there's 314A. But um, so firstly, actually, even before A and B, uh, the, the information sharing obviously has been around for 30 years. If you really look at SARS and CTRs and CMIRs um, from a US perspective or suspicious transaction reporting in general, you know, you've got that information sharing mechanism at a very detailed level down to the transaction level on an individual where you believe there is suspicion um, to get that information across to, you know, that government's FIU. Um, but but then there's, there's 314B in terms of if people aren't familiar with that, um, most people on this, this are, but the ability to leverage it across institution. I think the, the concern some large institutions have is that, um, People will, you know, send me, you know, tell me about Brian or tell me about Graham um, because they want you to do their KYC for them. Um, and they're not really concerned that Brian or Graham is suspicious. Um, I think there's ways of mechanisms of managing that. But the real benefit can be um, you have a mechanism for that linkage in the chain of saying, OK, I have some interesting information. I think, and I can see that there's activity going on with this other institution, um, or 314B covers other other types of company, um, and I can get that out. You know, I could actually leverage it with casinos. I could leverage it with money service businesses. I could leverage it with the broker dealers, the mutual funds. Um, so you've got this first linkage in the chain. Um, that you can leverage to then round out your information and also enhance how you pass information on to the next point. Um, the, the other piece that, that FinCEN have done, which is really interesting, is for those institutions that are global, uh, in, in some of the guidance they've put out, you can do that communication cross-border um, so, you know, if you're that global bank in the US, you have a subsidiary uh, in the UK, you, you can share information on, on a basis with uh, your head office or your subsidiary, depending on how you're structured, um, where your headquarters are, um, within your organisation. Uh, so now you've got this mechanism of another link in the chain. You can get stuff overseas. 
um, managing that, that handoff um, across and, and leverage that linkage in the chain. Uh, you're starting to then hopefully see how I'm kind of building out this new concept of really a, a fusion chain. The, the 314A piece in the US obviously then enables you um, to receive better detailed intel from law enforcement. Um, and getting that then enables you to then act on, on that side of it. The equivalents do occur as well. I know you, you've got a global audience as well, but Jimlet is its affectionately joint money laundering uh, task force uh, in the UK also has a similar, similar, not the same, but mechanism for sharing uh, between uh, law enforcement, the FIU, and the financial institutions. So again, you've got this point of, of leveraging another linkage. So if you're a US bank with a UK operation, you now have interest in a particular individual, let's call them Graham for the sake of argument. Um, Graham is then of, of interest to me. I'm going to then note that for my London operation. My London operation might be a member of Jimlet. Um, my US operation can be then working with, with FinCEN. Um, you're able to then start leveraging that information and start putting those pieces together. Sorry about that. Just struggling with the mute button as one does. So, no worries, <laughs> so we have uh, uh, so we have laid out some, as you call, as you you pointed out, links in the chain that enable you to to get around this. And you know, uh, as you mentioned, not everything exists quite in the same way in every jurisdiction. Um, so it is it is difficult, right? There's no one stop shop solution. I know some jurisdictions are actually quite jealous of the ability to have uh, 314B information sharing um, that the US has. So uh, capabilities vary, but there are, as you point out, the ability to build some links in this chain. And to the point about 314B, you know, I know there are some hesitancies at some institutions to even participate in that. It is a voluntary uh, participation system, and it is not something that you're mandatorily required to do in the U.S. Some institutions risk it, some don't. Um, some see it as actually kind of a shield to liability to not participate, so there's even some hesitancy there. Um, so I guess my question would be, what are what is the case for building out these links to create, you know, to at least start creating this, this fusion chain. And, you know, what would you say specifically to that instance of a institution that says, you know, I don't want to take on the burden of 314B because if I don't do it, you know, no harm, no foul. If I do do it, suddenly it's a regulatory liability. I, I think I was kind of, kind of going to build up to a conclusion, but I think the, to answer your question, I, I think there's there's kind of four elements to it. What one is courage, um, which is you you do have to to have the courage to to then a, as an individual and as an organisation to then say okay I, I am going to enter into this path. And I think yes, there are concerns of okay if I'm not using it then 
I don't get examined on my use of it. Um, therefore, I I can't I can't can't fail on it. Um, I, I think those days are behind us. Um, I think people will actually you know look at an institution and go, well, actually, no, you did make a decision. You made a decision not to do it. Um, so. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think it's so much an an, an optionality. Obviously, that's voluntary, as you pointed out. And there may well be instances where, for that particular customer or counterparty, you don't feel there's enough suspicion or there's enough concern, and and you choose not to respond. But I, I'm not quite sure that the kind of macro level of I'm not going to participate in it at all um is is really a, a choice as much the the other side of it is really the true risk management which is uh how you manage risk by being aware of the risks um you don't manage risk by ignorance of the risks and uh, and i think it, it's that piece of the you're you're better off doing due diligence um, and and research and investigation um, to make sure you're comfortable. Most most of our customers, again, you know, if we go back to both of us being you know, a financial institution for a second, you know, majority of people are good. Um, I, I cling to that both personally and professionally. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, but I think it's true. Um, you know, I think. We we talk about the volumes of money that's money you know that's laundered, but the the majority of people and customers are how can we quickly onboard them? How can we quickly enable their transactions? Um, how can we let them get on with their running their business or or you know paying paying for their um, you know kids costs and you know and going off and and having a vacation? Um, the so I, th- I think it's the courage is the first thing. I think the other, I said four, I think the other three are kind of far more kind of transactional, uh, transactable in a way, in that you you have to have the ability to understand the name of an individual and the party. Um, you have to be able to... Um, understand the data and you have to have a description of risk and i think these are the the three pieces that we're really starting to see change um quantified um and really kind of be available for financial institutions to now really make a difference um and I can kind of touch on those. So in terms of the name piece, um, if it's your customer, you know, you've got date of birth, you've got all of the uh, onboarding KYC that you captured. Um, but for the counterparty, you don't. And so you, you really need great name science and AI around names. And that shouldn't be based on uh, the names in the community that you grew up with, it has to be global name recognition and a true understanding of global name variants. Um, 
you know, business is, is international. It's non-face-to-face. Um, those are continuing to grow, um, especially in post-pandemic kind of environment. Yeah, so understanding Indian names, how Indian names are truncated in Indian press versus how they're truncated in the US press, um, Anglo-Saxon names, um, Chinese characters, Cyrillic, um, unfortunately, um, more and more key than maybe it was in the, in the beginning of the year. Um, understanding that name science has become really key for this information sharing, because if you're going to share something, you want to make sure you get the right individual. Um, the, the second part I mentioned was, was data. And I think the banks and uh, institutions and you know, payment processors really now have a pretty good handle on their customers, their accounts, and their transactions. Um, the technologies that have been dealing in that space have been there for decades. Um, the regulators have been scrutinizing them for a decade. Um, but it's then the data that's outside of the organization that's uh, unstructured really needs to be brought to bear. And, and I think we're seeing, I, I certainly was seeing regulators leveraging that when they pull their samples um, for, for an exam. But also the public are very well aware of everything that's in the open source and media environment um, as they look to, to judge how are uh, banks and, and companies performing. Um, in who they do business with or choose not to do business with. So you've got to be able to understand all of that data that's out there around that sharing. And, and then the last piece um, on this kind of set of three is how do you um, know what it is you're looking for? And, and what we're seeing both where we now do the partnership with both Defence Department, the law enforcement agencies, uh, the NGOs and the financial institutions is the real benefit of a common definition or risk card that explains this is what we all mean by wildlife trafficking or this is what we all mean by human trafficking or human smuggling. So that when you're both looking at that individual looking at the information you have and then sharing your discussion, you're talking in a common language and are addressing and sharing below that kind of Chatham House, you know, discussion of, well, it's something in Asia with something in Latin America impacting the US, but actually getting down to, okay, well, it's not just pangolins, it's actually pangolin scales that are also being used in the in the medicine trade. And therefore, I'm looking at how is pangolins scales being trafficked? But then also, I need to look at it in seven, eight different languages in three different character sets um, to bring out that I really do understand the risk that I'm looking for. And then as I mentioned, kind of leveraging either 314A or B, or cross-border between, you know, head office and local office or the law enforcement side. Um, 
you can actually really start sharing great detail on that definition and then have everybody leveraging it as they're reviewing a particular investigation. So you mentioned a number of, of kind of key stakeholders within this, this fusion chain concept, right? There's the financial institutions, obviously. Uh, there is law enforcement. There's regulatory level FIUs. And then there's, you mentioned NGOs as well, which is interesting. I feel like non-governmental organizations, you know, everybody knows about the FATF and World Bank and others, but sometimes when it comes down to discussions of, you know, partnership or information sharing, it feels like they get maybe left out of the picture to some extent. So, um, so yeah, I mean, very important uh, part of the, the, the equation in general. And I think a, a great kind of way of thinking of all of the constellation of, of players within the information sharing and, and partnership world. Um, and, you know, you, you laid it out what I thought was a very, a very thoughtful, you know, for, for, pronged approach there, um, you know, starting with the key element uh, of courage and then moving through the more tactical elements. Uh, do you see financial institutions that are already doing this? You know, are financial institutions already adopting this, this fusion chain approach? And beyond, you know, some of the, the things we already talked about, like uh, like the, the, the joint money laundering uh, information sharing initiative in the, the UK or 314P in the US, how are financial institutions partnering with one another in this, with, you know, the, the fusion chain concept and using some of the four steps that you laid out there? Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're seeing adoption of this and, and we're in production with this now uh, quantified. So um, obviously I, I, can't, I can't usually typically name the names of the financial institutions, but we've got uh, a growing number of now financial institutions that are engaged with us on, on this approach of, of then sharing into the risk cards, leveraging our risk cards, leveraging the name science on, on their kind of sharing um, journey. Um, we, we have a, a number now um, in the US of the three-letter agencies, I guess is the way I can mention it, um, as well as the Defence Department work. Um, you know, so we have uh, great contributions, you know, things from uh, things like US Fish and Wildlife, um, you know, or the Defence Department where they have helped us understand certain risks of concern and then we've been able to then document that into the risk cards that then they can leverage. And also our financial institution customers get the benefit of leveraging from their insight. Um, and then the same on the NGO side. Um, you know, we're very proud to be able to support Polaris. Um, Polaris actually contribute directly into our risk card definition for both human trafficking and they, they wrote for us um, the human smuggling card um, that we have and, and then have the ability to add to that um, at any point in time. Um, and and we're, we're just in the process of releasing, uh, I guess I'm going to release it now, but um, we have the partnership with United for Wildlife. Um, that, that must be coming out as a press release soon, but... Um, the United for Wildlife also give us direct input into how they're seeing wildlife trafficking 
from the work they're doing in the field, literally, um, or in the um, in the plane, um, in, in the work they're doing in Africa, the work they're doing in Asia, um, and contributing then to to our our risk card definitions, which means law enforcement are getting the benefit of that, and that means financial institutions are getting the benefit of that. And, and you're not breaking any regulatory frameworks. You're not saying, okay, well, I need a AML 2020 to come to life and, and make it all happen. You can do it. You've just got to do it a link in the chain at a time and, and, and leverage it. And uh, I think having that common language uh, then enables one more detailed sharing of risk and then also finding the right names with the right data and then sharing that. Obviously, we don't get that detail at quantifying, but we we know that that then is occurring in terms of the handoff between our customers and Polaris, our customers um, uh, or our financial institution customers, and then law enforcement, law enforcement working with the NGOs. Um, it, it feels like it really is now seeing that making a difference. And obviously we would love to see that as a community to keep continuing to grow. Yeah, some fantastic points there. And, you know, you heard it here first on the partnership with uh, United for Wildlife. It's a, it's a scoop that we got on the podcast. So very exciting. Uh, now, yeah, Quantifund is doing fantastic work to build these partnerships. And it's really exciting to see because there's a lot of talk about, you know, public-private partnership, it's been a huge theme. We hear it from regulators and, you know, the tangible steps to make it work is something that's been in, to some extent, I think, in a little bit of short supply. Um, so it's great to see, you know, you, you seize the initiative and drive that forward. Um, but speaking of, you know, seizing the initiative and driving things forward, or maybe not, um, there has been some criticism of the public sector, particularly the government regulatory sector, um, from some in the financial institution space on information sharing being a one-way street, right? Everyone's feeding them intelligence, data, and they're not getting anything back. And this is particularly true of the, you know, financial intelligence units. And, you know, I won't I won't take a, a opinion or a stance on that criticism one way or another, just to air it. I think we all know it's out there. And you alluded to some shortcomings in the past. So what is the role of the regulatory FIU within this fusion chain approach that you're outlining? And, you know, do you do you see encouraging steps in the direction of, of greater willingness to engage and greater willingness to drive uh, a more coordinated approach forward? Yeah, no, I think... Um... When I was back on the on the government side, we were, uh, sorry, on the on the on the banking side, we were having some of those discussions. Um, I think the the risk card approach of having this kind of common wiki standard of defining the risks, uh, potentially FinCEN would be another FIUs would be also great contributors. You know that we would love to have, um, and and then potentially you know that that could be like a a standard that we can we can publish and share um i think that would be a mechanism potentially for different governmental fru's to contribute in a way that they can give feedback that helps them not be individual customer or target specific 
but be far more specific about specific terms, keywords, phrases, you know, concepts, typologies in a way that it then becomes useful. I think what we've seen on both the human trafficking, wildlife trafficking and the drug side already is, is we can take those terms um, that are currently, you know, being circulated and used, but then also go out into the unstructured data and see what terms are emerging. Um, you know, I think you you kind of get this, otherwise you kind of get, it's almost like a Hollywood blindness. Yeah, you get the, you think you know the terms that people are using for drug deals because where well, you saw it in this last movie. Um, but, but the terms are constantly evolving on the street in terms of what are people calling a particular product. And FinCEN may be seeing some of that in a star um, and could contribute that kind of detail into a risk card, but also will then take that term and then also look within the unstructured data and say, okay, we're also seeing these other terms that are emerging. So even then kind of going out there and, and taking what they give and choose to share and actually then find the other terms from the data um, to do that. And I think you kind of then have the ability to kind of go beyond. Um, in the past, it was like, well, I'm going to have 500 experts and they're going to understand this problem. I think the the power of where the AI has got to um, potentially with kind of more contributors like, you know, I'd love to get Vincent um, to, to contribute as well. Uh, is then you can then take those terms that they're seeing in SARS today, not sharing the individual target, and then also drive it through the data to find other terms and actually get ahead of the crooks or at least get up to where they are today um, as opposed to kind of being, you know, how how far behind in the catch-up do we need to be? And I I don't, I truly don't believe we need regulatory change to do that we actually can focus more on leveraging the way the laws and regulations are structured um, today to make a difference. Um, obviously, it'd be great to have some things tweak, but you mentioned privacy uh, concerns earlier, Brian. I think, you know, there's always going to be that push-pull with privacy and some of the kind of like, if you're going to wait for the regulations to change to just work perfectly for AML. I'm not even sure it'll ever happen um, because of that balance against privacy, rightly so. So, so I think it's really then courage to to share what we can, but, but provide mechanisms to really leverage that in the links of the chain. You know, FIU to bank, bank to bank, or institution to institution. Even within law enforcement, you know, with the five eyes concept, um, we see that this is also a mechanism for, and they've already got the sharing pieces, but yeah, in terms of mechanisms for sharing between, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the US, the UK, or the Interpol mechanism or the uh, Europol mechanisms, um, all could great be great contributors to the, to the kind of concepts of global standards of risk cards, Yeah. I'm getting really excited now. I've got to like calm myself down, but I I truly <laughs> truly believe you can make a difference, you know. Yeah, a and I a hundred percent agree. And I think you know 
being able to dream big, so to speak, and not just be bound by, you know, this is what we, this is what the regulations say type of thing is, is extremely important because that's what it's going to take that creativity and that, that ability to go beyond, you know, just compliance with the standard to, yeah, a willingness to work creatively within the limitations and within the framework to to get at the spirit of what we're trying to accomplish, as you said, um, which is to stop the bad guys and hopefully get up to their level. You know, getting ahead of them is maybe a, a untenable prospect, but at least getting on their level is a uh, is a uh, you know maybe doable. So, uh, fantastic points all around on that. I want to revisit the NGO space. Um, and get your thoughts on the role of NGOs, because you know you mentioned a couple, and they're obviously an extremely part of, uh, extremely important part of the picture. What is the role of NGOs in all this? You know, you mentioned you're partnering with some of them, helping to develop out these risk cards. What types of data insights perspective do they have that maybe even you know the financial institution or potentially even the government space lacks? I, I, th- I think the, the the benefit we see with the NGOs is is that um, unfortunately for them, they're typically dealing with the victim. Yeah, um, you know, if it's Polaris, then obviously the great work they do running the hotline um, with U- United for Wildlife um, in terms of the stuff they're doing on the ground, and un- unfortunately, you know, dealing with the the, the animals that and 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 the flora and fauna. People forget about the trees, but the the, the victims um, uh, in the, in this and what we're seeing is that they can contribute great detail to the definition of the problem the key indicators um and put that out then for the banks to leverage it i think i touched on this one where you and i chatted last as well is to to expect you know an individual to understand wildlife trafficking, human trafficking, drug trafficking, you know, professional money launderers, yeah, offshore tax havens. Um, to understand all of that and then do a great job of understanding the adverse media that's out there. It's just too, it's just not possible for one human. Um, and I think the old approach was maybe you, you'd see some companies that would say, oh, we've got. We've got 300 experts and, and we're defining it. Um, make, you know, I love analogies, but it makes me think of the Spartans. You know, if you, you have your 300 experts, yeah, and that, that'd be great if everybody was coming at you through that one channel or gully. Um, but the criminals are attacking you from the side and the back and, you know, over the top. Um, and, and in the same way that Spartans lost, those companies that are relying on their 300 experts um, can't can't compete i think where we see the benefit with the ngos is that they work great work with dealing with the victims really means we've got thousands of experts that are able to then contribute through to defining individual risks they know their expertise really is right there literally you know in the savannah you know in the serengeti dealing with the problem and can really then define that risk and then both law enforcement um, and uh, uh, the government uh, and uh, uh, financial institutions are getting the benefit of leveraging those definitions. I think that's to us where we see the benefit. 
one of the things I was pleased to see yesterday is also I, I saw a report um, from the International Union of Conservation of Nature, and uh, they actually said that the rhino poaching has declined since 2018. Um, I think to the point of why we're doing it all, yeah, is if you attack the money making of this, you really do start to solve the problem. You know, if you, if, you, if there's no value in rhino horn, yeah, people will stop doing it. Yeah, if there's no value in opium, people will move on to other crops. Um, might take us years, yeah, to, to to see those kind of things occur. But I think it it really, you know, gives the NGOs a platform for taking the knowledge they have and getting it to law enforcement and to financial institutions. Yeah. Fantastic points all around. And uh, I love the analogy of the, uh, the Spartans, you know, fighting, <laughs> fighting the 300 fighting the invading armies because, uh, yeah, partly because it makes a uh, compliance folks sound like super heroic uh, fighters, <laughs> which they are, but also because ultimately, you know, the 300 uh, lost and, uh, um, uh, we don't want to lose. We want to continue the uh, battle with a larger army. And that's part of what this, this fusion chain approach is all about. Well, you know, you touched on this before, but just to reiterate what it takes to bring this life to life, um, because I think it's extremely important. And I want, you know, listeners to walk away saying, you know, Hey, I want to, I want to do this. So what, what tools do I need? So, uh, what are those three tools, if you don't mind, just kind of rehashing? And then what is that special sauce that you uh, you really need to to enliven this and make this work? Yeah, I, the the three tools, and no, thanks, let me, let me touch on them again. I, you know, see data, um, you know, true AI technology on the name science and risk relevance, and then this concept of, of risk cards. The, the secret sauce, um, and I've been very lucky to have some tremendous mentors in, in my career, but the, um, it is that courage um, to, to act. And I think to touch on the secret sauce piece first, I think you mentioned the term earlier of like, you, you, could, you could say, okay, I'm just going to aim for being compliant. The, the problem with that approach is that when you you do miss something and and you will miss something um if you're just at the bar of compliance it's almost like being right on the safety margin um whereas in my, my experience if you can demonstrate to regulators that you're trying to operate slightly above compliance um and then you may miss something at least you are like no, we weren't just aiming for compliance. We were we were really trying to actually make a difference. Um, we all understand that you know for profit entities can only do so much because it's not their primary function to be um, dealing with crime. Uh, it's to deal with suspicion. But I think the courage piece is a call to action, but also a recommendation to be slightly above where compliance sits. To, to the three points, the, the data, 
um, you have to be able to consume the data that is out there and available. I think we touched on this when you and I chatted before, but um, as a financial crimes program, uh, relying on the sympathy of a regulator because you didn't see those three articles in, you know, the the press in in Hong Kong um, from the office you were working out of in Charlotte. That's not going to cut it. Yeah. Um, the so the the data has to be consuming hundreds of millions of uh, pieces of information that are out there. Um, and it's going to get updated every 24 hours and and you can't you can't stop that it's going to happen um the name science piece uh, i i touched on with kind of global name rarity uh i think the other bit is is the the ai now really coming back and not saying like okay let's run brian yeah so you run a search with brian with some of the legacy technologies and Brian would hit with tons of things because, of course, Brian's name is there with financial crime all over the place. Um, but he works for ACFCS. Um, I think the tool sets that we're bringing to base understand the context of that. Um, I was dealing with one of the industry analysts. Um, we were very pleased to get the IT Navarica Award for Best AML uh, Innovation in, in 2022. And... I think one of the things that helped when we were chatting through with them, we ran their name and showed how we could work out that they were an industry analyst in the context of the sentences and not bring back all of the articles to plow through with their name linked to money laundering because they wrote about it. They weren't perpetrating it. Um, and, and then the, the last piece really around that, and I think I've kind of hit on this a number of times, but is, is this kind of risk card concept, um, which we'd love to also have the FIs, you know, and we have this with a number of our customers contributing to those risk definitions as well. So you can have law enforcement, NGOs, financial institutions, all adding to that definition of the risk. Um, and then you're providing a mechanism for each of these linkages in the fusion chain to be able to leverage their learnings without having to be specific about who the individual target is. But also to the point of your listeners, I do want to obviously support that they do so have the mechanisms of for the individual target. They have the mechanisms for handing that across um, to each of the participants in the fusion chain. Well, you said before, Graham, that you were excited about this. And uh, after listening to this, I am excited about this. I genuinely am. I think uh, this fusion chain concept is what what is we hope the future will be, right? You know, maybe it's we're, maybe it's going to take a lot of work to get there. It is going to take a lot of work to get there. But um, this is exactly where I think we need to go as an industry. And this is what, you know, as I mentioned before, there's been a lot of talk about a lot of high level, you know, efforts at, but Hearing you drill it down, lay it out, give us some tangible steps to, you know, move in this direction, understand the elements that we need to get it in place. It's just hugely encouraging. Um, 
so, you know, I think I said this before at the risk of sounding, uh, repeating myself uh, the last time you're here, I said, I really appreciated both your, your expertise, but also your passion for this, but, uh, it's still true. So, uh, I still appreciate it. Thank you for bringing this concept of fusion chains to life. Um, and thanks again to you and to quantify and for, for all the work you're doing to drive it forward. And I encourage, you know, any listeners out there to learn more about what Quantified is doing. They do have some, you know, public efforts available. They're doing more um, in more of a closed consortium way um, and uh, definitely encourage those that it might apply to, to see how they can, they can get involved too. But um, Graham, thank you so much for being here. And thanks again for, uh, for what you're doing to drive this forward. And uh, let's all make it the wave of the future so that we can get on the level of the financial criminals. No, thank thank you, Brian. And I think you know we're, we're a big fan of ACFCS and really kind of educating um, and providing those learning mechanisms to to kind of share that knowledge. Um, it, it's not it's not one size fits all. There's lots of things to to kind of combat it. And and I I really appreciate what ACFCS is doing um, for its members as well in terms of being able to share that knowledge. And yeah. It, people want to reach out where we really want to work with people on this. So no, thank you so much. Excellent. Thanks again, Graham. And uh, yeah, ACFCS is trying to trying to do its part. So all of our listeners out there, do your part to uh, get involved in, in this effort and others out there. And thank you again for listening to this episode of the Financial Crime Cast. Uh, the Financial Crime Cast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, many other locations where your favorite podcasts live. So thanks again for listening. Please join us on a future presentation of the Financial Crime Cast. And goodbye for now, everyone.